Like immature children, some of the Corinthians were arguing about the rights they had as a result of their freedom in Christ. But like a wise father, Paul pointed out that the question should not be whether or not they can eat the meat being sacrificed in pagan temples. Instead, the question should be, what will eating this do to my neighbor? As Paul pointed out, eating the meat sacrificed in temples of fake gods has no eternal consequence for those in Christ. But if eating meat causes the weaker neighbor to stumble into idolatry or immorality, then it becomes a problem. Therefore, Paul wants to bring the Corinthians to a higher standard. He wants them to mature. He wants them to see everything they do, even the seemingly mundane moments of everyday life, as an opportunity to glorify God by submitting to Christ and serving their neighbors for the sake of the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be finishing up. What a privilege it is um, to be able to go to Israel for two weeks and to leave the preaching and the teaching in the very very capable hands of, of two of our, our young men here. Justin preached uh, two weeks ago. And uh, you can be praying for our high school students who just left uh, just a, a few hours ago for camp and be praying for them. And Justin actually preached through 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And then last week, um, Zane, and uh, I don't know if you guys, how many of you were here last week? Okay, can you believe he went to the extent that he went to, to just uh, try to make it difficult? Uh, I don't know if you know this, so what he did was he preached the entire sermon holding his child, Elias, and uh, he, I guess, issued the challenge, what's Jim going to do to one-up this? And so my original plan was to hold my oldest son, um, no, not my oldest son, to hold my middle son while he held his pregnant wife. I kind of thought that would be the best way for us to do it, but I guess that's, that's not going to work out. I, I actually called my oldest son, and he said, Dad, I'm going to be in Mexico, and then my, my son Mackenzie and his wife um, are actually at camp with our high school students, and then so the next one um, was our, uh, our son from Mexico, who right now is in Spain, so Sergio couldn't do it either, and I was just afraid to, uh, to ask Max. So uh, I'm not going to be holding any of my sons, but what we are going to be doing this morning is, uh, is going over this word that we have because we care so much about it. We want the, the word of God to, uh, to inform us and to shape us, to, uh, to give us a way of looking at the world and a way of looking at life that maybe is a little bit different for us. And that's kind of why we have this amazing thing called the Bible is because we need it to help understand life. And uh, I want to even apologize, somewhat apologize in advance. I think a lot of my illustrations and thoughts are going to be centered around the Holy Land. There's no way for you to go there for two weeks without just kind of thinking and reflecting on the, the, the power of that place and the longevity of God's plan and God's purpose and to just realize how, how much has been going on for so long. And how many people have picked up a text like this and asked, okay, what does this have to do with my life? And how does my life find meaning and purpose? And how is it molded and shaped around these particular words? Like that's really what the biblical text is all about. And that's what we're here to do is allow this text to mold and shape us. Um, it's, it's good to know that when your kids are with our high school um, teaching staff, that they're being taught the Bible well. When they're with our college pastors, they're being taught well. When they're in our children's ministry, they're being taught well. Like what a privilege it is to do that. And so this morning, what we're going to be looking at is the last half of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to be asking this question, um, what does it actually mean to be a Christian? 
What does it mean to be a Christian? You, you may have heard this before, um, but all of Christian, all, all Christians are little Christs. They're little versions of Jesus. They're imitations of who he is and what he is about. Um, there was a, a very popular slogan that came up a number of years ago. WWJD was kind of the tagline for it. And it stands for what? What would Jesus do? Now, one of the major problems, though, that came out of this was that whole movement, which actually even included not only T-shirts and keychains, but also chocolate bars. So anything that we take, we can take to a pretty crazy place. But the, the, the sentiment behind it is, 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 listen, that there is a way in which we are to live our lives and be little Christ, be examples of Jesus that molds and shape us, molds and shapes us. What is that actually like? What is that actually about? What does that actually mean? And sadly, in our culture right now, I, I think for the majority of us, to be a Christian is to be a nicer version of ourselves. Um, man, I'm glad that's working for you. Seems to really be like a, you're, you're a better version of you. I kind of like this Christian example of who you are. It, it makes you nice and, and kind and caring. And, and, and I don't want to, here's what I don't, I, I don't want to like put down or I don't want to um, not lift up the value and the purposes of that, except Jesus didn't come to make us life or come, come to make us um, nicer versions of ourselves. But he came to give us life. Like, in, in many ways, like different versions of ourselves. Still ourselves, but different versions of ourselves. When we're in Israel, our guide, his name is Uri, and Uri is not a believer. Um, he grew up Jewish, and he is still very much attached to his Jewish roots and the land, particularly. And um, one, one day, me and, and one of our other guys that were, were on the trip, we're just sitting in the car and we're having a conversation after going to the market and we're sharing the gospel with him and we're just describing to him like what, what, the, what the foundation of the gospel is all about and how we build our lives on that. And Uri said, because he's very intelligent, he said, I think if I were to become a Christian, I would cease to exist. That's wise. If, if I were to become a Christian, I would cease to exist. And I didn't go, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. No, 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 no. You can, you can still do whatever you want and be a Christian. That's the beauty of it. We have this incredible freedom in Christ. And honestly, Jesus only wants to enhance your life. He doesn't want to really mess with it too much. He wants you to be happy. And he wants you to continue to pursue what you want to pursue. Jesus is just going to make like this, this cooler version of you, this nicer version of you. I just sat there and I just let that think, sink in for a moment. I think if I were to become a Christian, I think I would just cease to exist. And I said, yeah, in, in, in some very real sense, that's rather true. That's why baptism is one of our ways of, of bringing people in, this recognition that there is a death, a burial, a, a denial of life, and then a receiving of a different life. And so to be a Christian is to be a little Christ, to mirror him. And so I'm going to ask you this question repeatedly throughout the sermon. Like, are you a Christian? I'm not asking, are you nice? And I'm not asking, are you kind? And I'm not asking, are you caring for the needs and the, uh, the concerns of everyone around you? Because, by the way, I know a lot of people who are not followers of Jesus Christ who do that and do that well. 
It doesn't make them followers of Jesus. It doesn't make them Christian. And what the Apostle Paul is doing at the end of chapter 10 is he is describing this, this, this foundational, uh, transformational, revolutionary um, way of, of reconstructing ourselves so that the way of Jesus is actually something that we, we adopt and that we mirror. It is, in essence, the death of ourselves and then a new life that we have and the new life that we have that we live for Jesus. So what would Jesus do is kind of like you're in a difficult circumstance and do I, do I give back the wallet that I found that had $20 in it or do I keep it? What would Jesus do? And this is so much more than that. To be a Christian isn't just, how do I not make poor choices? No. To be a Christian is, how do I live? Not just like, for him. How do I live for him? So look, look at how the text begins. As, as Jeff pointed out in his prayer, the Apostle Paul makes this very, very clear. There's a lot of freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things that we can do. Not all of them are helpful. That's a great reminder. Not everything you can do should you do. And not everything that you're free to do is wise for you to do. You know what this is like. It's called college. Freedom does not equal wisdom. Freedom does not equal happiness. Freedom does not give us the greatest meaning and purposes in our lives alone. This kind of freedom that, that somehow just means this, this, this absence of any kind of responsibility or rules or regulations. That's, that's not. That's, that's, that's anarchy. That's, that's, that's literally an, an unrefined thinking process. To, have a, to truly be a free thinker is... is, is is nonsense. No, the, the words that I use have to have an order to them. And the concepts that I use, they, they need an order to them. And the way that we live our lives to be a Christian is to recognize that the creator of the universe has an order to things and I choose to live my life serving, submitting, following who he is so that I'm not just living like him, but I'm living for him. So the Apostle Paul says, beginning in verse 23, all things are lawful, sure, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And then he says something that, that, that I, I, I think we, we need to, to remember, and we're going to try to hold it in its context, but this really begins to answer the question for you, not, hey, are you a Christian, but does verse 24, does that resonate in you? Paul says that that Christ's followers are people who, in verse 24, let no one, these followers are people who say they're followers of Jesus, let no one seek his own good or her own good or their own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Yeah, like it's, it's not about the food. You do whatever you want. But tell me, that when you were doing that, whatever it is, eating meat, not eating meat, tell me that what you were doing there was you were not looking for your own interests, you were not looking for your own good, but you were looking for the good of others. You were caring for the interests of others. Like, tell me that's what you were thinking. That's a good question. See, that's fundamentally what it means to live for Jesus, is, is to realize that I, I may have, actually, 
with the knowledge about who God is and, and what the world is like, that's some pretty powerful knowledge. It's powerful knowledge to know that there are no other gods but the one God. It's powerful knowledge to know that this kind of meat or that kind of dietary regulation really isn't what makes us spiritual. What I find fascinating about my friend Ori is, although he gets this this almost nostalgic sense of the value of the dietary laws and whether or not the restaurant's kosher or not or whether or not they have dairy. and I mean, that's one aspect of it. But more than that, he, he just thinks it's kind of silly. I just can't imagine that the God of the universe cares that much about whether or not I put cheese on my hamburger. I find that interesting is that somehow he knows that there's got to be more than just meat. Being sacrificed to an idol or being eaten properly. There's got to be more. And the Apostle Paul is saying, yeah, there is something that is fundamentally much more. And so the Apostle Paul asks this question, are you seeking your own good or are you seeking the good of your neighbor? See, that's a better way to define whether or not you're a Christian. Now, I know that when it comes to... um, you know, like Valentine's Day or anniversaries or when we're in love, we talk about, I'm going to swim an ocean for you. If you were on, an, in another, on another land and there was an ocean between us, I would swim that ocean for you. And you know, if you were on a mountain, which I, I would just say that if someone's like putting an ocean or a mountain between the two of you, they're trying to leave you, okay? And, and to just continue to pr- pursue them might actually involve some some police involved in, in your life. But um, when you think about, uh, we, we love to talk about these grandiose terms. I would climb a mountain. I would swim an ocean. I would do anything. I hear people say this. I would do anything for them. Really? Like anything? Well, what, what do you mean? Do you, I, I guess what I'm saying is, like I'll buy exaggerative Hallmark cards for them. That's what I mean. I've never had anybody come and say, you know, we really need some help in our marriage counseling because my spouse will do anything for me. Like they love me so much, they literally do anything for me. And it's just, it's wrecking our marriage. Like we know, we we know that that's, it's, it's it's a sentiment that robs of the, of the daily, of the, the monotonous. Like, sure, I'll swim an ocean for Andrea. I just, I don't know if I want her to pick what I'm going to eat for supper. Because I don't know if I want that. I think I want this instead. Well, but she doesn't want that. Well, I don't care what she wants. I want what I want. But I'll swim an ocean for I'll climb a mountain for I, I just, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want the, the daily disruption of my life. I want some kind of disconnected not real um, demanding upon my, my, my happiness and my hopes and my dreams. Like, those things are already set. The Apostle Paul says, what it actually means to be, to be Christian is not just to be aware of the freedom that you have, but to be aware of the people around you. We, we came into this a few weeks ago. Like, are you aware that there's anyone else in the room and by the way, like, are they here to serve you? Or are you here to serve them? 
And the Apostle Paul is describing a way of looking at the world that is informed by the gospel that says, if you want to know whether or not you're being obedient to the gospel, are you putting other people's interests ahead of your own? Now that, that, that's messy, isn't it? That's messy. And, and, and by the way, instead of us just trying to figure out, okay, well, you're, you're telling me that I can never, like if there's anybody that has any need anywhere that I'm, I can't ever do anything, no, 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 let's, let's keep this in the real world. And I love the fact that what the Bible even gives us is not only these kinds of instruction, but then it gives us like a very real context to live it out. Like, I don't have to worry about, well, I can't take care of everybody in the world, therefore I get to do whatever I want. That, that was, see how quickly I got rid of that? I, I love those, I, mean, I can't take care of everybody in the world, so I'm going to be selfish. How about I can't take care of anybody in the world, but I am married to somebody, and I, it'd be a great context for me to begin to practice what it means to put somebody's interests ahead of my own. Ugh. I've got children. Like, God didn't just plop me down in the world. Like, I've got children, and I can, I can put their interests ahead of my own. By the way, that doesn't mean make them happy at all costs. You see that? Because that's, that's not what the Bible says. I put ahead their interests, not their selfish wants. Put their interests ahead of my own. Oh. Okay, that got deep fast. So in the end, even though it's been a long day and I'm tired and I really don't want to deal with this, like putting their interests ahead of my own is actually not disconnecting from my family, but connecting deeper with my family and maybe even having some tough conversations that they may not like now, but when they're 30, they'll get it. Wow. I like me time. Anybody else like me time? I need more me time. We become obsessed with me time. I need a, I want a timeout. Can I get in a timeout, please? Like I want to be put in a timeout because I need me time. I've never, in all of the years that I've been alive, and I've been alive for 50 of them now, I've just never seen so many people obsessed with their own me time, and I've never seen more people, like, absolutely depressed and anxious and upset and unhappy. Huh. Me time didn't fix that for you? By the way, some of you are going, I can't believe he's against me time. (laughs) I'm not, I'm, I'm really not really against it. I'm not. I'm against the spirit behind it. Because the spirit behind it says, I got to take care of myself because if I don't take care of myself, no one will take care of me. Isn't that the purpose? Like if I don't take care of myself, who's going to take care of me? Instead of asking, hey, like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty stressed right now. I should probably you know, do some things in my life to make sure that I have the, the kind of integrated life that God has for me so that I can actually be best to serve God for his purposes. In the end, it's just competing selfishnesses. And I I just don't believe that'll ever work for us. I don't. I think the Bible speaks so clearly against that. The Apostle Paul says, "I I, I get it. I get that we have all these crazy freedoms. And I, I get, you can do whatever you want. You do know that's not helpful though, right? You do know that what is helpful is to recognize that in the story of the gospel, that Jesus emptied himself and gave of himself to the plan of God the Father, to the establishment of the kingdom. He gave us an example to follow. Not just rules, but an example to follow in which he puts God's plan and God's purpose ahead of his own life. 
His life becomes completely embedded in, and, and, and you can't differentiate Jesus' life from the plan of God. And Mark 10 says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Are you a Christian? Are you a little version of that? I'm not asking if you say bad words. I'm not asking if you drink too much. I'm asking, are are you a, a mirror of that? Living for Jesus, not just like him. Paul Paul continues in this text. It's not just this this randomly detached idea. That's that's how we end up with be nice theology, is we remove it from the context. The Apostle Paul gets deeper into it. He says, hey, by the way, just so we're clear, God made everything the world and everything is his. So just so we're aware of the freedoms that we have, it's because the one God that made the world, like we know who he is, and he has made this world for our enjoyment. Now, you might think that makes it messier. I think it just makes it more, um, I don't know, it it, it redeems the mundane. It, It helps the daily. Look at what he says in verse 26. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, meaning there is nothing that you've ever seen that wasn't his. There's nothing that you've ever owned that wasn't already his. Like this is already his. And when we put it in these containers and we take it to the bank, it's still his. And the bank, that's his. And the building that we have, that's his. And like my house, that's his. And whatever we build, that's his. Like whatever I see, that's his. Whatever I enjoy, that's his. Like whatever I genuinely enjoy, that is God's. It's his. Now I can either use it and manipulate it, which will end up destroying it, Or I can just stop and recognize the reason why God made this is for his glory. And and there's a real sense, even for my my enjoyment, Paul says to Timothy, you really need to be grateful and thankful for all these amazing things that God has given you. This this morning, um, my wife made me a cup of coffee. Thank you, Andrea. That was so kind. Here's your cup of coffee. And I went into the kitchen and I... I bought, while I was in Israel, I bought a couple of things. I bought halva. How many of you know what halva is? Okay, some of you do. Halva. Yeah, you are all on the trip with me. So it's, it's, this, it's this substance that's got, it's like sesame seeds and date honey, and it's, it's actually really kind of good. And, and I, I cut it up, and I sat there this morning talking to my wonderful wife. I'm eating halva, and I'm drinking coffee. And I'm just like, God is so, I didn't even know there was halva. I feel sorry for all you people that have no idea what I'm talking about. It really is. It's, it's delicious. I know that not everybody likes it, but it's delicious. And I sat there and I just thought, isn't God good? Man, he, everything is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Notice how in verse 27, so if one of the unbelievers invites you to a dinner and feeds you halva, um, and you are disposed to go, the halva's not in the text, and you are disposed to go eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of your conscience. See the freedom in that? We can go. We, we can go into these amazing places. We can go into these, in, in some people's minds, very restrictive places. We can actually be involved in things because we know the truth behind that, that everything is God's. And when we know that, 
Like when we truly know that everything is God's, then it's easy to give. When we don't think everything is God's, it's hard to give. When, when I don't recognize that like my marriage is from God and for God, then I'm going to hold it. And I'm going to literally, I'm going to get everything that I can from it. I'm just going to, I'm going to so embed myself in it and, and, and I'll, I'll actually ruin it. But when I realize that it is from God, when I realize that this is from God, when I realize that my relations are, are from God, when I realize that my, my job is from God, when I realize that this world that he's given me is from God, now all of a sudden the freedom to not manipulate and to not exploit, but to fully enjoy opens up. And Paul says, he's using a very real example. This is what food is like. You don't need to freak out about where that food came from. And then he takes it one extra level, verse 28. But, he does that a lot in this text. Look at all the incredible freedom we have. But, knowledge puffs up. But, he says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in a sacrifice, don't eat it for the sake of the one who's informed you and for the sake of conscience. And I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why would my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And the Apostle Paul is saying that there is something that just gets ruined when I celebrate my freedom at the expense of my do you mind if I just for a moment just call us this? For my family. What have you really gained? Yay! You're free. And you killed everybody. Hey, look at that. Look how free you are. And you're alone. Hey, look how free you are. And um, not only that, but God who gave you that community and even gave you that food to enjoy and even gave you the ability to say no to yourself for the sake of others. See, do you see, you see God's plan for all of this? There is a wisdom and there is a truth and we need to continue to pursue the truth and we need to know the wonderful blessing that comes from that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and let us appreciate everything that we have and just make sure that we don't step over and push, push around and push over and kick those around us in the process. Because that was never God's intent. That was never God's plan. And that's where we get this great statement. I'm sure you've heard people say this. They say it kind of quickly. It actually comes from this chapter of the Bible. Do all for the glory of God. And everything you do, do it all for the glory of God. There was a famous statement made by um, a, a, a theologian a number of years ago. Augustine said this. My mom hates it. My mom really does. She doesn't like this statement. Just makes her nervous. My mom likes to be nervous. Um, if anybody just doesn't have time to worry, call my mom. She'll worry for you. And, and my mom is, is one of those people. I love her. I really do. I love her. And I even can appreciate her heart in this. And then I want to say, but mom, I, I think there's something that's broken. But I remember when I first found this statement in, uh, when I was in seminary, she just went, oh, I just think that's so dangerous. You ready for the statement? Love God and do as you please. Love God and do as you please. Right, right now, there's a lot of us going, man, I like that. I really do. I kind of like that. Some of us are going, wow, so I can do whatever I want. Nope, you missed the point. You missed the point. 
It's love God. And let's just stay there for a moment. Let's, let's just love God. Let's be grateful for what God has given us. Let's be grateful for what God has done. Let's be grateful for the work that he's done in Jesus and the life, the breath that we have. Let's just, let's just love God. And then let's do whatever we want. See, that's where you get into trouble, Jim Johnson. That's what my mom would say. That's where you get into trouble. And I'd go, but mom, if I really loved God, could I do whatever I want? Well, yeah, but you're not going to, right? That's where she goes. That's where a lot of us go. Do you get where she's coming from? Do you get her concern? Do you understand her concern? I, I, I just, the older I get, and I'm catching up to my mom in years, the older I get, the more that I realize that the more that I love God, the more of the things that I want are the things that he wants. And I don't know how much we really trust the spirit of God to do the transforming work. We either want to make sure that we can eat whatever meat that we want. We can experience freedoms, whatever. We can drink whatever. We can watch whatever. We can do whatever we want because we're free in Christ and no one, this is me time. I have 24 hours a day. I'm a me monster and it's me time. That's pretty broken. But what if God's plan for us is that we really would do whatever we want and we find increasing joy, like increasing pleasure, like an increasing, I think I was made for this, in loving and serving others and putting their interests ahead of my own. Like what if that's what it's about? And, and what if God is a heavenly father that takes incredible joy in watching his children love him and love each other like that? You, you do know that's like what, what the Bible does is the Bible says you can't wreck those dimensions. If you say you love God, you will love one another. If you say you love God, this has to happen. You can't have this without this. The Bible is clear on that. So whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I, are you ready for this? This is a very interesting statement. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they might be saved. Paul said something there that I found very fascinating. I try to please everyone. I'm fascinated by the number of people that go, you know, I don't care what people think anymore. I believe, first of all, thou dost protest too much. But that statement, I don't care what anybody thinks, is not only childish. Now, if what you are saying by that is, is that God is the one that governs me and I'm going to do what he wants no matter what people think. Oh, no, I'm with you. I'm with you again. You lost me there for a moment because you sound like this obsessed, selfish child. When you said, I don't care what anybody thinks about what I do, that scared me for a moment. But if you're talking about, man, God is my principled guiding rock and I just stand on him. I know you got me again. But Paul sees the strength in him standing so securely in who God is and what God has done. He was absolutely free to please everybody. See, the, the problem isn't actually that... Um, that I'm trying to please everybody and it's ruining my life. 
No, probably the deeper, more foundational problem is, is I am trying so hard to be happy. I'm trying so hard to be fulfilled. I'm trying trying so hard to to just do whatever I want to do, and I got to make sure, just like a five-year-old child, that every moment I am not bored, and that I'm I'm doing something for fulfillment and self-actualization, and I'm doing it on all these things, and they all lead to dead-end roads. It's a one ticket on a sinking ship. And the Apostle Paul says, I have found pleasure and joy and purpose in trying to please everyone. Context, you get what he's saying, don't you? Like, I'm here to serve you, what can I do? See, there are some of us that walk into a room, we think it's like everybody's job to serve us. It's everybody's job to make us happy. It's everybody else's job to... I love watching when people, even, and I'm watching myself, when I go into a restaurant and I somehow just assume that everyone's there, well, they're supposed to serve me, I'm the one that paid for, oh man, like what just happened to me? I became like this obsessed consumer. So you're telling me you shouldn't expect good service? Um, what I'm telling you is, and what I need to learn, is that even when there's not good service, Like, I'm still a follower of Jesus. And even when my marriage isn't going right, like, I'm still a follower of Jesus. And when even everybody else in the world decides to act, like, inappropriately and wrong towards one another and God, like, I'm still a follower of Jesus. And I don't think it's such a bad thing, paid attention to the context, if we spent more time trying to please everyone if we spent more time serving one another. How many of you love going to Chick-fil-A and you say, hey, thank you for doing this, and then what do they say? You know it, what do they say? Sometimes I bet you they mean that. As Christians, we always should. No, that's my pleasure. Like I really am. In light of who Jesus is, like I'm here to serve you. And if it's not my pleasure, it really should be after everything that he's done for me. So Paul ends with this powerful statement, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We all know the statement, right? Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, that's what it means to be a Christian, to be a little Christ. It's not just to be nice and I'm not against nice. It's not just to be caring because I'm all for caring. I would even say caring deeper and better and wider and and, and with, with greater substance, because what God is doing in the world is he is calling people to himself in the name and in the mission of Jesus Christ. And he is making for himself a, a family of people that so genuinely love him that for the first time in their lives, they are free, truly free, to not only eat whatever they want, but to look around and realize there are other people at the buffet. You know I could eat everything here, right? Golden Corral, I could eat everything, you know. Yeah, there'd be nothing left for anybody else. Yeah, but I could, you know. I paid for it. It's all you can eat. Are you okay? Anybody want to be a Christian? Do you see how that's so much better? So much deeper and richer? Like this is God's plan and this is God's purpose for us. 
But you knew that because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Huh. Then take up his cross and follow me. I think that's where Paul got it from, to be honest with you. See, Jesus didn't come to make a better version of you. Or he is right. I hope someday, and I hope I go to Israel enough times that I get an opportunity to finally see this young man. If I can baptize him, I don't care where I do it, but Jordan River would be kind of cool. And he is right. It will mean in a way that he will cease to exist. And yet, amazingly enough, at the very same time, experience life. That's God's plan for us. I pray you find joy in the pursuit of that and that you are free of just pursuing it, pursuing it, pursuing it for you. So in everything you do for God's glory, for others' benefit, and for your joy, may you live faithfully this week. Love you guys. God bless. And we will see you next Sunday.